What's that? We are staying standing. You nailed it. All right. You nailed it. That's the first time that's been nailed <laughs> in recorded history. We're actually still standing. It's perfect. Um, yeah, so we are standing in reverence for the reading of the Holy Scriptures. I'm going to do the Scripture reading today. This is from Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho... And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, and the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, I, I knew this day would come. Uh, since about fifth grade, I have struggled with uh, occasional, almost, they, they'd come almost on an oddly regular rhythm. Every three months, about, I get what's called an ocular migraine. Some of you get that, probably. Uh, everything goes blurry. It feels like you're kind of looking through a water glass, and I can't hardly see very well. And sometimes that ju- it usually lasts about a half hour and then it dissipates and it ranges from a minor headache after that to a like, gotta be in bed all day headache. And that just, the eyes just started for me about 15 minutes ago. And I knew preaching every Sunday for the first time now, the last couple of years, that was gonna happen one of these times. One day this migraine is gonna hit when I need to be able to look at my notes. And today's the day. That's not part of the sermon. I'm just telling you, I can kind of see. I could just read the page. I feel good that I could read the scripture. That's good. That's something. Uh, but I'm going to raise this up a little bit. Uh, and we're going to see how it goes. And if, if, if right now I feel fine. I don't feel sick. I don't feel like I have a headache. Everything's cool. But if I just like suddenly turn really dour or something, I'm just going to have Josh come finish the sermon. Um, so he's ready. He's locked and loaded back there. I can tell. Uh, so... Yeah, here we go. The day I've waited for. Um, Well, here we go. Mark, this is going to be our last week in Mark for a bit. We're going to take a break for kind of over a couple of the summer months, do something else starting next week. Um, But we're wrapping up chapter 10. And as we, I just read it, it's, it's a story, if you've been tracking with us through Mark, that probably sounds really familiar. It's another story of several um, where there's a person in some kind of desperate need coming to Jesus. Um, crying out, calling out for help, and then Jesus demonstrating, this is what he always does, he, he, he demonstrates both the compassion to actually help this person, and that's good. It's good to be compassionate towards people, right? It's a good thing. But Jesus isn't just compassionate and merciful. He actually has the power, the ability to do something about it, even something like dealing with blindness within a person. We see that time and time and time again throughout Mark's gospel. Here's another example. Um, But this is going to be the last 
the last miracle of this kind, the last healing miracle, the last po- the only other miracle in Mark is a uh, st- strange story where Jesus like curses a tree, and <laughs> you know we'll unpack that when we get to it. This is the last miracle of this type in the gospel. Um, as the stir- story is going to turn the next time we pick it up towards Holy Week, the triumphal entry, and everything leading up to the crucifixion. So um, Mark spends over over a third. What is it? We're in chapter 10. It's 16 chapter, whatever that math comes out to. A big chunk just on Holy Week, the events of the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the crucifixion. Um, but as I got into this story this week, the story of Jesus healing this blind man, Bartimaeus, I came to realize this isn't just another story thrown in just kind of haphazardly. Yeah, let's just throw another one in for good measure. Make sure people really don't miss this. Jesus is powerful. Andy's compassionate. And let's just really, really put a pin on it. I suppose it, it, it is functioning that way. But, but more than that, it's an encapsulation or maybe even like a flesh and blood parable um, of all these discipleship themes that Jesus has been giving his disciples throughout chapters 9 and 10. Um, after all these teachings, think about these teachings. There was uh, teachings about greatness. We, we referenced those last week. Uh, Jesus is going go to go to the cross uh, he references that, but then he's talking about, he uses that as a, as a lesson last week to talk about, no, it, this is not a fluke of, of, of my kingdom. This is the way everything works. Greatness in my kingdom is defined by lowliness, by servanthood, by laying down your life just as I'm going to do as a ransom for many. Um, there were stories, two stories, where, where the disciples are kind of stiff-arming children who are being bought, brought to Jesus, and Jesus stops saying, no, that's not how it's going to be in my kingdom. Let the children come to me. In fact, you want to be great in my kingdom? Serve these children. Humble yourself underneath these children to lift them up. And in other places, says, become like children. Emulate these children. Don't dismiss them. Become like them. Let them be a model for you as you approach me. We had the story that Josh taught a few weeks ago about the rich young ruler, the story of this person uh, who many would say, if you want someone on your, if you're trying to build a, a budding religious movement and you're thinking, who do we need? Who do we want in the room? Who do we want to actually help build this thing and get some prominence? This is the person you'd want. Rich, resources out the wazoo. He's young, he's got vitality, and he's a ruler. He has some amount of influence or authority. You would surely think if Jesus is building this movement, he's the Messiah, he's going to kickstart all these promises of God, this is the kind of guy you want on the team. But in their conversation, Jesus ends up sending him away. Sadly, heartbrokenly, because Jesus loved this man, but this man would not, could not do the things that were necessary to kill his idols and come after Jesus with sincerity. Got teachings about divorce and marriage, all kinds of stuff in the last two chapters. And, and in this story with this man Bartimaeus, I think it's almost like Mark and Jesus are saying, do you want to know what all this stuff actually means? All these teachings I'm giving you, you want to know what it means in real life, flesh and blood? Here we go. Here it is. So, we're going to unpack it. But let's pray and ask, ask the Lord to help us as we do. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here together, Lord. Uh, it is a privilege, we know. Um, Lord, a, a privilege that some of us in our communities still, still are unable to, to take part of for various reasons. Um, Lord, uh, we need you. We need you. This, this passage all week has been weighing on, weighing on me heavy 
as a reminder of how badly I need you, Lord. So we just declare it again. We are desperate for you, Jesus. If you're not here at work amongst us, all this stuff I'm about to say, Father, is, it, it, it could be meaninglessness. But if your spirit is in our midst, if you are opening up this word for us, Father, then uh, this could be an encounter with the God of the universe, and we pray that that would be so. Help us, teach us. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says, They came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside, and when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so there's this man, Bar Timaeus. That's a way of saying the son of Timaeus. Uh, so, so Mark does a little uh, transliterating for us here. Bar Timaeus, the son of Timaeus, who's from Jericho. Um, and remember, when, when you see these little, sto- these little names dropped, remember that these are kind of functioning. These little extra details function almost like ancient footnotes. You know, Mark's about to record a wild story. A man who presumably was born blind is about to be given his sight for the first time. And that doesn't happen. That was a miracle that was never even recorded in the Old Testament. The Old Testament never claimed that any of the prophets of God ever healed a blind person. And yet Jesus, it's claimed in the Gospels, did that many times, including this one such time. And that might be a little bit unbelievable. Maybe you're sitting here going, "Uh, okay, is that the sort of thing that can actually happen? Well, the fact that Mark records Bar Timaeus was the man that this happened to from Jericho meant, you're curious about this story? Go to Jericho. If you're, you know, living within this generation, go to Jericho, ask around, find Timaeus or find his son. Hey, did this, they're saying some wild things about you guys out here. Is any of this true? I believe they would say, yes, it is. I was blind and now I see because of this Jesus of Nazareth. But this, more than that, this man's a blind beggar. And you just have to understand, we've talked about this before, this is the second uh, healing of blindness story in Mark, but, but to be blind, it's incredibly difficult in any time. Um, I don't know firsthand what it's like, uh, but I think we all can intuit how difficult it would be. Um, far more so in the ancient world. There was no braille, uh, there were no compassionate like sort of social services set up, there were no uh, sort of societal um, Resources. You're just alone. And most people, in f- to add insult to injury, most people would look at a blind man and say, and there's a story in one of the Gospels, you've probably heard this, who sinned? Who sinned that you'd be born blind? Was it you or was it your parents? Blindness was often assumed to be sort of the radical punishment, the judgment of God against sin. So if you were blind, you not only were sort of isolated from, from the condition itself, but you were kind of viewed as a social pariah. Like, what must have you have done? have ended up in this place. This is excruciating. And so because of his blindness, he can't work. There there are no opportunities for this man. So he's begging by the roadside. Begging by the roadside, sitting on a cloak, asking for money. And that's how he survives, we are to assume. And he's crying out to Jesus. He hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. By now, we you know three years into Jesus' ministry roundabouts, he's probably heard some stories. Maybe he's heard that Jesus healed another blind man. 
here's Jesus is passing by and he starts to cry out. And I, I couldn't exactly say why. I, I, I'm going to take a stab at it. It's still, I think, kind of a, a deeply emotional thing for me. And I'm, if, if you ask anyone that knows me very well, I'm kind of uh, a robot. I, I don't know. <laughs> I struggle. I struggle emotionally. I struggle to articulate what I'm feeling. I struggle to be able to put words to it. Um, it's difficult for me. Um, but nonetheless, for reasons I can't exactly describe, I'll, I'll, sta- I'll take a stab. As I was spending time with this story this week, I continued to just get emotional. And that, cards on the table, does, doesn't happen for me a ton um, in, any, in anything. Um, I'm not super emotionally expressive, but there was something about this. There was something about the story that was, that was upsetting me in, in a really good and, and beautiful way. Um, of course, I feel things. Of course, I mean, we preach about this from time to time. I believe deeply that emotions are good. And right. That's a, that's a designed part of us being human, that we would emote. When you feel deeply, you need to pay attention to that. That's how God designed us. Emotions are good. Um, but for whatever reason, I've never been all that emotionally expressive. But something about this story this week has just been tearing me up inside, and, and maybe it will again while I'm up here, I'm not sure. Why? Well, to take a stab at it, I, th- I think two things were hitting me. One is just this man's pained desperation. I, just the, the image of this man, especially given the circumstances of this time and this place, sitting in helplessness, crying out, crying out, like screaming out when he hears Jesus is close. That, that, mixed with the fact that I know that Jesus cares. I know that Jesus cares. The fact that, 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 that this man's crying out in desperation is going to be rewarded because that's not you or me standing in front of him. And even if we're compassionate to do something, we're powerless to do anything. But because Jesus is there. Jesus is there, and Jesus values all people, even the people that (laughs) that this society would say, what did you do to deserve this? What did you do to deserve this? We've said it before, we'll say it again, that Jesus loves all people. Whatever ails you, whatever, whatever limits you, Jesus does not care. He loves you and invites you to himself. And I think a second thing that really hit me was because there, there's, there's the facts of this man's life that are wrenching and Jesus coming into contact with that, which is just, just so beautiful and, and, and awe-inspiring. But then there's the fact that on some deep level, this man, Bartimaeus, is me and he's you. And, and when we have the eyes to see it, we recognize that we are just as desperate as this man, but to our great folly, like, we don't recognize it. We don't cry out to Jesus the way this man is. We don't seize the day. We don't desperately plead with him the way this man is. But we are just as desperate, and Jesus is just as merciful to you (laughs) and to me as he is to this man in this story. So we're going to unpack all of that a little bit more. What I think this story is getting at here, summer coming on the tail end of all these teachings, Mark 9 and 10, 
is the idea of the ideal disciple. Um, who's the ideal disciple in your mind? Who's the person that you feel like if, if, if God just had this person on his team, maybe the tide would turn, maybe there'd be revival in Portland or in the United States or whatever. Who, who does Jesus just have to convince to come aboard and then everything's gonna go fine, the, the strategy can, can move forward, we're gonna see mass conversions and so on and so forth. I actually had a person like this. Uh, I think I've, I've told this story before, it's been a while though. Um, no, one's, no one's gonna know this name. If you do, I'll be so impressed with you. Anyone know the name Jason David Frank? That's a zero. None of you. None of you. You know who Jason David Frank was, is? The Green Ranger from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, he played Tommy Elliot, the Green Ranger, who was like an evil Power Ranger who ended up becoming good, and then he became the White Ranger. This is too much. You don't need all this. He was so cool. He had a ponytail down his back. In real life, I looked him up. I don't even think we had the internet at that time, but I was like getting little books about the Power Rangers and Jason David Frank. He was an MMA fighter. He had like seven black belts. I don't even know how that works, if that's how that works. He had a black belt. I don't know. He was amazing. He was so cool. Horrible actor. Horrible actor, <laughs> as were all the Power Rangers. But I remember being a kid pleading with God that he would save Jason David Frank because if Jason David Frank would become a Christian, like children all over the world would mass convert. They'd see the error of their ways. They would repent of their sin. They would give themselves over to Jesus because Jason David Frank did the same. That's a true story. I prayed those prayers. I prayed those prayers. Uh, probably most of us, I stopped praying prayers like that at some point, uh, but probably some of it, we all have this thing in our head that's like the ideal disciple, the ones who could really turn the tide, whatever. What this story, I think, is saying is whatever your idea is there, and this idea has been poked and prodded at and marked from a number of ways, whatever your idea about the ideal disciple is, reject it. Here's the ideal disciple, blind Bartimaeus begging on the side of the road. That's the ideal disciple for Jesus, and we'll see why. It's his desperate circumstances mixed with number two, his desperate faith. Let's keep reading. It says, many rebuked him. He's crying out to Jesus, Jesus, help me. Have mer Son of David, have mercy on me, pleading. And people rebuked him. Of course they did. Shut up. Shut up. This is Jesus. We have important business to do here. You're, distra you're disturbing the children, you know. We're on our way to Jerusalem, okay? We've got important business to do here. Quiet, Bartimaeus. They told him to be silent. And that might make me shut up. I might go, okay, cool, fine, whatever. This man cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he said... Call him, retrieve him, bring him to me. And they called him, they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Suddenly their, their attitudes shift, you know, oh, Jesus does want to talk to him. Okay, hey, take heart, buddy. Jesus wants to speak with you. Get up, he's calling you. And he throws off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? 
What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So the man's rebuked. He's told to be quiet. He's told to shut up. He's told not to disturb the good teacher. He's overlooked by most. But in his desperation, he finds persistence. If you're desperate enough, you'll keep asking. You'll keep coming back because you have no other option. Is that true? That's him. He pushes through to get Jesus' attention despite everything working against him. Again, what we have here working against him is his tragic circumstance and, and his inability to help himself. You know, if you're born blind, you, 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 there's, there's no, I mean, especially this time, maybe, maybe, you know, there are all kinds of conditions today that our medical technology allows us to work on and heal and improve and, all, and then praise God for that. That is the common grace of God in our world at play. Uh, but in this day and age, there's no hope for anything like that. There's no therapies. There's no surgery. He was utterly unable to help himself. And he knew it. You don't cry out like this and make a fool of yourself, especially when people are telling you to shut up unless you've got no other option. He's desperate, unable to help himself. And then next, his cry for help is to the only person who can do something. The word that he, he, he appeals to Jesus with is mercy. Have mercy on me. That's compassion. That's forbearance. That's, that's a plea for relief to, to, to see me in my pain and in my struggle and in my suffering and to act. I don't deserve it, but do it nonetheless is his plea. Now, desperation. Desperation is a close, close relative of humility. When we read this desperation in his voice, we can see deep humility here as well. They're nearly one and the same. So Jesus asked this man, what do you want? And remember, this is the same question in last week's story that he asked James and John. Remember, they came up and said, hey, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Same, exact same phrasing. What do you want me to do for you? They said, give us a seat of prominence in your kingdom. And that's what started Jesus going, whoa, 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 you do not understand what's going on here. This man says, this man says, I want to see. I simply want to see. He doesn't want glory. He doesn't want power. He doesn't want privilege. He just needs to be able to see. And there is deep humility there, and there is deep faith in this request. Because he knows he's not going to make himself see. And he knows that Jesus, there's the faith, he knows that Jesus can make him see. So pause. To pause there. What about you? What about you? First, how are your circumstances? We're all in different places. I know some of you pretty well. I know some of you a little bit. I know some of you not at all. But I know that we're all in, uh, the details of our lives are all completely different. Some of us some of us are in deep health crisis right now. There, there, there are people in our church, so you know some of them. Oh, let's talk about Mark Leeser. Mark, if you're watching, we love you. Good to see you, buddy. Um, struggling with cancer right now. And many of us are praying fervently, fervently for a full and complete healing and the end of this barbarous cancer story for him. 
But in the middle right now, we don't know how it's going to go. We don't know how things are going to play out. It's tragic, desperate circumstance. Others of us are just cruising, like health is great, finances are cooking, uh, no family crisis, whatever. Things are overall pretty well. Not that everyone has stressors, everyone has issues, everyone has problems, of course. But other, others of us are, are doing relatively well. Some of us are in professional crisis. Some of us are, the job's going well, it's going great. Some of us don't even know why, but you're just racked with anxiety or depression or fear, whatever. Like, sometimes there's clear reasons for those things. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes that makes it all the more anxiety-producing to know. I'm not sure what's wrong with me, but something is deeply, deeply wrong. I do know one thing. I think Jesus would, Jesus hints at this. I think he would state it explicitly if I could be so bold. I know that, um, I know that the quiet of affluence can blind us to how things really are. Now, circumstantially, things may be going well, things may be going poorly, but I would, I would submit uh, when we really get a good close look in the mirror, if we can really let ourselves take stock of things the way they really are, we're all desperate. Um, death is coming for us all. There's, there's no one in this room who does not have to live with the reality that at some point our mortal lives will end. Unless we live to see the return of Christ, which that'd be rad. That'd be amazing. <laughs> what an understatement. That'd be pretty cool. It'd be the most glorious thing ever. Um, odds are, odds are that's not going to be our generation. And we're going to die. We'll have new life, but we're going to die. We don't know what's going to kill us. Something will. Um, more than that, we all have the, 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 the tragic reality of sin in our lives, and we can downplay it, we can ignore it, we can, we can say that concept's meaningless, it doesn't matter, it doesn't exist, whatever, that's old, sort of, uh, that's kind of ancient thinking that has no bearing on life in the 21st century, but nonetheless, we all have the problem that we know things are not the way they're supposed to be. Uh, in general, and certainly in our own lives, if we have the courage to admit it, we are part of the problem. What's wrong with this world? What's ailing this world that we're in? You are. I am. We are all contributing to this like cosmic mess that things are not the way they are supposed to be. The Bible refers to this as sin. We are guilty. We are guilty before a perfectly righteous God. We have failed to honor him and honor neighbor the way he has called us to. That is, that is a part of being human in this broken world. More than that, we have no recourse for fixing that mess ourselves. There's nothing, we, there's not some program we can do. There's not some uh, education we can receive. There's not a fee we can pay to get out of this mess. Uh, the scriptures declare that's just the way it is. So we have tragic circumstances. Do we recognize them? We have the inability to solve these problems despite whatever, you know, quick fix solutions are offered to us. They all fall short. So we're left with, just like Bartimaeus, we're left with a cry, 
a cry to Jesus, a cry to the Son of God incarnate for help, a cry for mercy, a cry for compassion. Have you trusted him as the only one who can meet our deepest needs with both the compassion and power that's required to actually save us? Have you? Do you see that you need him? These are the questions this story raises. We're going to come back to all that in a second. Ironically, many of us fear, maybe all of us fear, that if if we are to become too vulnerable like this man, if we're to have too many needs, our desperation can, if our desperations can actually be seen and known by God or by other people, then we will somehow, we will somehow prove ourselves undesirable to Jesus or unworthy of his mercy. If that's how you feel, that's evidence that, that at least in these moments that we've forgotten the good news, we've forgotten the gospel, we've forgotten the cross, we've forgotten the fact that this is exactly the kind of God that we serve. Let's just keep reading. We will circle back to all that. So this man cries out. He cries out. He's told to shut up. He keeps crying out. Jesus asks, what do you want? He says, just heal me. And then verse 52, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So we've seen a a desperate circumstance and a desperate faith, and now we see a merciful Lord in the face of those things. What do you do when you encounter desperate need on the street? In Portland, walk around downtown, or wherever, wherever you live, if you live in the city especially, Wherever you live, what do you do when you see desperate need in downtown Portland? I'll tell you what I do most of the time. I ignore, I pretend not to see. I might post something on it. If I had an Instagram, I would post something on Instagram about how heartbroken I am, how, how somebody's got to do something about this. And then I would move on and forget about it. What does Jesus do when he sees desperate need on the street? Jesus stops. He comes in close. He dignifies. And he pours out his mercy. When someone is desperately in need of him, he, he, he responds. In this case, Jesus heals this man's blindness. Does an impossible miracle, impossibly incredible miracle. He he heals this man's blindness, and you know what he does it with? His speech. Doesn't need a big incantation. Doesn't need the right elixir. He just speaks it into existence. Your faith has made you well. You know who else does that? The God of the universe. Genesis. The God who who created all of existence with words. Mark is telling us this is that God. And more than that, 
Jesus is the Messiah. As Bartimaeus was getting at when he says, Son of David, this is the king who would usher in a new, <laughs> a new day of restoration and blessing, the one that the people of Israel have been longing for for, for ages. And you know what the, the prophet Isaiah said would be one of the, the evidences that the Messiah had come, that the day of the Messiah had come? Many times in Isaiah he says, the blind will be given sight. So this Jesus, again, is not only, he's not only the Messiah, he is the Messiah, and he's God. Coming back to the story, and why I think it's been affecting me so much, it's, it's, it's not because I believe that Jesus promises to heal every pain or wound or disability in this life. I want to say that clearly. Um, some people believe that he will. Every single thing. If you have enough faith, or, or, or sometimes it's, it's more crass than that. Sometimes more crass than that. If you give enough money, buy the right book, sign up for the right program, he will heal. Whatever it is in this life, he will, he will heal you. Just have enough faith, he will heal you. You have to wonder why there aren't more five, 500-year-old people walking around with all these things healed. No, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus promises to heal everything in this life. That's not why this makes me emotional. I think this makes me emotional, though, because uh, he does promise to do that all eventually. He does promise to do that all eventually. Although I believe he can and does heal miraculously in this life and in this world, he doesn't promise it every time. But he does say that there is going to be a day once and for all where every one of these points of anguish will be gone. Once and for all in the life to come, there will no longer be anyone suffering this way who has trusted Jesus. There is no one who humbly, sincerely cries out to this Jesus like this man Bartimaeus who will not have, in the words of Revelation, every tear wiped from their eyes. You've probably read that before. We talk about it all the time here. That's, that's a, that's a go-to verse, a deeply encouraging verse for me. But don't let that be lost on you. He says, yes, life in this world is tough. Sometimes he does miraculous, amazing things. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die. Something. There will be a day when death wins in the here and now. And then there will be a day when death is defeated finally. It's, already, it's, it's, a wounded, it's a wounded, dying enemy to us right now. Jesus defeated death, and we are just waiting. The victory is assured. It's when we are just waiting for the final day when he consummates it all. And every single tear is wiped. Jesus' heart in words of Exodus, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we are all absolutely desperate if we have the eyes to see it. We just are. You are desperate for Jesus. Whether you recognize it or not, you are, and I am But the God of the universe delights 
in saving the desperate. Delights in it. So in this case, maybe it will be the case for you. I don't know. I pray that it is. We should, we should pray for it together when deep calamity hits. We should pray for healing and trust he is capable to heal and keep coming back for that prayer day in and day out. But regardless of what he chooses to do in the here and now, we again follow the example of Bartimaeus who followed after Jesus on the way. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go is the lesson here. Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way. May we be like him and say, there is no, to whom else should we go, Lord? There's no one else. So, the ideal disciple. I think what this story is trying to tell us is that the ideal disciple is the desperate disciple. The one who in his or her desperation sees in Jesus the only one who can and who will forgive what is outstanding, the only one who can mend what is broken, the only one who can heal what is wounded, the only one who can supply what is needed, both in our lowest moments and in the moments where we perceive that we are at our highest. Just know that. In our foolishness, we think there are seasons where I've got it, I'm fine, I don't need anything. In every one of those moments, we are dead wrong. We are just as desperate in those moments as the ones where we think we have it all together and we think things are going well. If we are honest, if we have the eyes to see, we don't know what we're doing, friends. We don't know what we're doing. There, is some, there, are, there are many points in your life right now where you are just at the mercy of Jesus and to our folly, we don't recognize it. I don't recognize it. Gosh, how do we hang together as a church in 2022 in Portland, coming off of the COVID pandemic and everything associated with it, I don't know. I have no idea. I think part of this text, too, was like bringing those feelings up for me. Like, I don't know what to do here. And that's uncomfortable. It's much more comfortable to kind of lead out. And say, yeah, we've got a plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We, here's, here's where we're going. This is all going to be great. We've got the five-point plan, all of that. There is a deep discomfort in just having to go, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Except I need Jesus. <laughs> Except I need Jesus. I needed Jesus for salvation, and I need him every single day since he, he graciously saved me. And so do you. And so do you. The ideal disciple is the desperate disciple, I think. We never graduate past that. Yes, we, we, we learn to know him more, to love him more. We grow in him. We mature by his grace, by the Spirit's work in our lives. And we thank God and we praise God for all of that. But we are never less desperate. Never. We are never less desperate 10 years from now walking with Jesus. We are never less desperate memorizing the whole New Testament. We are never less desperate doing incredible acts of service. We are never less desperate on the mercies of the Son of God.
And you know what? He loves to be merciful. That's what I want you to hear this morning. All of these stories, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, they just hit that refrain. We, we are at the greatest danger when we think we are at the least amount of need. So may we not, may we not <laughs> embrace that lie that we don't need him anymore, that we've graduated, that we've matured beyond this desperate need for the king. Amen? All right. This morning... My prayer is that the rest of our time, we're going to pray it explicitly, the rest of our time this morning would be laser-focused on crying out to this Jesus afresh for his mercy. If you have been walking with him for 20 years, may you today seize the opportunity to just declare to him, I need you. There's nowhere else to go. And I don't need you one inch less than I did before I ever knew you. Thank God for salvation. Salvation is once for all given to us from when we trust Jesus. Yes, you still need him. You still need him. And you're going to need him tomorrow and the next day and the next year. We're going to need him until we are face to face with him. And I suppose it's still appropriate to say we're still going to need him then into eternity future. And if you have not trusted Jesus, this is just a, an invitation we make all the time. I hope we, I hope we make it every week, I've, more or less. But if you have not trusted Jesus, the fact still remains you need him. You need him. And the good news is that he loves, he loves to forgive. He loves to come close. He loves to meet our desperation with mercy and grace and forgiveness. All it requires is to say, Jesus, heal me, just like this man. Today could be the day. If you feel your, your heartstrings being pulled by this, and you're like, I, I don't even know what this is, but I'm compelled to, to give myself to Jesus, whatever that means, come talk to me. Come talk to Josh. Come talk to There's a lot of wise people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Just say, hey, I don't know. I want to give my life to Jesus. It would be any of our honor to, to pray with you and to walk with you through that. This call is for all of us. We're all desperate, and our king is so merciful. It really is. Let's pray.